please, uh, to two places, Exodus chapter 28 and Hebrews chapter 3. So Exodus chapter 28 and Hebrews chapter 3. So reading uh, first of all from Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, just verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now imagine for a moment this morning that you are a student of history and your specialist subject is the life and times of Sir Winston Churchill. And you have read, as far as you know, every story, every report, every book, every pamphlet that there is about him. You visit libraries, you've researched archives. You've Googled his name. You've been on Wikipedia. You've done everything you can think of. You've tried to cover every aspect of his life from childhood to uh, teenage years to military service and to what the BBC termed in their drama of Churchill, the wilderness years, those 10 years or so when he was in the political wilderness. Nobody wanted to know him. He was persona non grata. Until, until they discovered that whenever the war was breaking out, that Winston Churchill was to become the great hero during the war years. And so you have arrived at the point as a history student where you feel you know that all there is to know about this man, you have discovered it. What more could you possibly learn about him now? And then you find out that you have a book in your library. And it's a book that you have read probably quite often. And then you discover that there are certain chapters in that book. And the author is writing about someone. And what you hadn't realized that the person he's presenting is not actually the person that he's really thinking about. He's thinking about Sir Winston Churchill. And so, even though it didn't occur to you, but whenever you discovered that, suddenly you began to see all manner of things about Churchill that you hadn't been seeing before. Even though you had read the book and even though you had read those chapters but because of the way the book was written, because of the way the author presented it, you thought he was talking about somebody else. And then you discovered, actually, no, he's using that as an illustration about Winston Churchill. And suddenly now, those chapters become alive to you. Well, something similar happens whenever we read the Scriptures. It's unfortunate that some of the least read and least understood chapters in the Old Testament are actually talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he knew that, 
And even though we have maybe read them and didn't know that, it didn't make much sense to us. But when you realize, actually, the author of the Scriptures, who's the Holy Spirit, even though he's using this, as we're going to read in a moment, this high priest as an illustration, actually, about the great high priest who was to come, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk to you this morning. I want to begin a short series on our great high priest, but if you want another title for it, the high priest garments. The garments, the vestments that the high priest wore in the Old Testament that speak very eloquently and wonderfully about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at these garments this morning and for the next couple of weeks, uh, we hope to tease out of this uh, illustrations and fresh insights into the nature and the character and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And however, before we even get to that, uh, I, I must remind you on why there actually was a priesthood and why there was a high priest in the first place. How can a sinful man approach a holy God? Well, there was a time in Israel's history when because of sinfulness, uh, it was rarely acceptable during these times to approach God except either through a priest or with an offering or with both. And so, the two key words, for instance, in the book of Leviticus, which is relating to the priesthood, are access and holiness. Access by a sinful man to a holy God. And so God then set up uh, a whole uh, system of rites and rituals and ceremonies and priesthoods and tabernacle. And all these were set up by God so that man could only approach God, not in a willy-nilly fashion, not any time he fancied or any way he wanted to, but he'd have to come through a prescribed way, have to be in certain times, it'd have to become in a certain way, have to bring an offering, the priest would have to offer it. And so it was a very detailed and curtailed and limited way to sinful man to approach a holy God. And all of this culminated in the ministry of the high priest. Out of all of the priests, he was the apex of the ministry of all of the priests, if I could put it that way. Now, the book of Hebrews, from where we uh, have just read, uh, was written specifically to Christian Jews who were having difficulty remaining true to the Christian faith, uh, particularly in the hard times and times of persecution that was now sweeping through the church. And, uh, and so the, the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to them because they were turning back, many of them were turning back from, uh, from the walk of faith that they had in Christ to the, to the old ways of Judaism. Uh, because it was tangible and material. They had priests and they had offerings and they had, a, they had a, now had a temple and they had a way to do it that they could see and they could feel and they could touch. Uh, and so they, they, many of them were no longer walking the walk of faith anymore and they were turning back. Some had even stopped coming to church altogether, it says in the book of Hebrews. And so the writer to the book of Hebrews takes a, a quite a large chunk of this very long book uh, and he talks about the, the priesthood 
and, and particularly about the high priest, because one of their concerns as Jewish Christians was about the high priest. Uh, because if Christianity was now claiming that Jesus is our great high priest, well, well, how come that? Because that would be against all traditions. Uh, because to, in order to be a high priest, you had to come from the lineage of Aaron. Uh, and Jesus did not come from that lineage at all. In fact, he came from the kingly lineage of, of David. You also had to become from the, 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 the Levites, the tribe of Levi, and Jesus didn't come from that. He came from the tribe of Judah. Uh, and also, when Jesus was on the earth, he never officiated a, a, any priestly duties. Uh, he never stood at the brazen altar or the laver. He never uh, walked into the holy place or behind the veil into the most holy place. He, he wore no priestly garments or vestments. Uh, so how come then that we're maintaining that he is our great high priest? So this was a problem to some of these Jewish Christians. And, and the author of the book of Hebrews, many believe it was Paul, we're not sure, but just say the author, then he, he feels this is something that needs to be explained to them and shown to them that Christ is our great high priest. Even though he didn't come from the tribe of Levi, even though he didn't come from the heritage of Aaron, and even though he didn't wear priestly robes, and even though he didn't officiate as a priest. And so to show them that, he gives them an example of another priest in the Old Testament. We mentioned this just a few weeks ago, called Melchizedek. And he's mentioned two places in the Old Testament, Genesis 14 and Psalm 110, verse 4. And, and this was a mysterious priest, mysterious in that there was no genealogy of where he came from. So we don't know what his mother or father was or his old background. There's no record of his death. There was just this sudden appearance when Abraham came back from, from fighting uh, and he had lots of spoils. And he met this great priest called Melchizedek, king of righteousness he was. He was a king as well and king of peace, his name meant. And so he gave him tithes of all he possessed. And Melchizedek blessed him, the father of the faith. And so this Melchizedek, actually the writer of the Hebrews saying, he was predated the Aaronic priesthood. And he didn't come from, obviously, from Aaron. And he was obviously from any tribe of Levi. And he predated him. And yet Abraham recognized him and revered him and honored him as a, as a great priest. And because there's no record of his birth or of his death, uh, that was the mystery of it, that he became a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't come from any priestly background. And his, his, he came from heaven uh, and, and when he died, he went back to heaven. And so there was that mystery about him. And so the writer to the Hebrews is showing, listen, you are hung up on this ironic priesthood. And you don't need to be. You're concerned about how does this fit in with Jesus being our great high priest. Well, listen, let me take you back away before the ironic priesthood. Let me tell you about Melchizedek. Because Jesus was a type of Melchizedek who lives in the power of an endless life. Are you still with me? All right, so, so having said all of that, then uh, we want now to talk a little bit now more about this high priest in the Old Testament. Now, in, by the way, in Hebrews chapter 7, I should have given you the reference. In Hebrews chapter 7 is where you'll find out the writer to the Hebrews. You don't need to turn to it. You can read it later today for the sake of time, but that's where he writes much about Melchizedek, this mysterious king priest 
so in Exodus chapter 29, and again, you don't need to turn to this because we're going to focus on chapter 28 in a moment. But in Exodus chapter 29, there is a detailed account of what ceremonies happened to the priests when they took up their office. Uh, and I want just right now just to very briefly uh, highlight just two of those things. First of all, how they were cleansed and then how they were consecrated. How they were cleansed and how they were consecrated. How they were clothed is really, really what I want to talk about, but we'll come to that in a moment and then we'll follow that for the next couple of weeks or so. So the cleansing. In chapter 29 of Exodus, verse 4, it says that before they put their vestments on, they were, had to be cleansed with water. They had to be clean. Now, how many knows today that the Bible tells us that we are kings and priests unto God? You know that? That every believer today is a priest unto Almighty God. To worship Him, to offer up sacrifices of worship unto Almighty God. 1 Peter 2 and 9 tells us that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Revelation 1 and 6 shows us again that we are priests unto God. Now, as priests unto God, we have already been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're saved, we're born again, and because of the blood of Christ, we have sins has been forgiven and we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. So there's no question about being washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you're a born-again believer, that's what's happened to you. Mysteriously, mystically, supernaturally, however way you want to put it, we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. But that's for our salvation. But for our service, and we're talking here about these priests serving, for our service, then we've got to be cleansed another way on a continual basis. The washing of the blood of the Lamb was a one-time deal. You don't get saved every day. You save once. You're washed in the blood of the Lamb once. But as we live our lives daily, then we've got to be cleansed another way because we get contaminated with the filth and dirt of this world that we live in. So how does that cleansing happen to us? Well, in John chapter 13, John chapter 13. Do you remember how that Jesus giving his disciples a lesson in servanthood and how that he put on the servant's apron, he got a towel in the basin and he washed their feet. And of course, when he came to Peter, uh, Peter said to him in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter, being the extremist as he was, said, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. So what he was basically saying, the context was, you know, before you came to, to dinner, when somebody goes to dinner, they get washed all over. They have a shower, a bath. But on the journey in those dusty roads, their feet would be dusty and dirty. So when they would walk into somebody's house, the first thing that would happen would be a servant would bend down and wash their feet and dry them with a towel. Well, nobody felt like serving that night, so Jesus did it and gave them an example of servanthood. But he says, listen, he, then he spiritualized the whole thing. 
Because he said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. He says, well, wash all of me. He says, no, you don't need your feet already washed. You just need your feet washed. Now, in chapter 15, verse, well, verse 1, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Then he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. There's something about the word. Psalm 119, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word, O Lord. There's something about the word of God that cleanses our thoughts, cleanses our attitudes, cleanses our heart. There's something about the daily meditating and the reading and the understanding of the Word in this life as we walk through daily. That is why we should need to get to know the Word. And as we do that, it cleanses us for service. If we're going to serve God, we need to get an understanding of His Word and live in His Word and speak His Word and do His Word, and that keeps us cleansed, keeps us clean for service. Second thing was consecration. Exodus 29, verses 10 to 21. We'll not read that for sake of time, but you can later. Uh, you'll find that part of the consecration of the, the priests was this. It was a strange thing. That their right ear, the tip of their right ear had to be dipped in blood. That their right, big th their right thumb had to be tipped in blood and their right big toe had to be dipped in blood. All of these things are symbolic, are they not? So the right ear dipped in blood that the priest may hear from heaven to serve the people. The thumb, the hand dipped in blood that the priest may serve the people with honesty, with integrity. And the right big toe, big toe dipped in blood that the priest may walk uprightly, not faultingly and failingly and stumbling as he serves the people before God. So this was all part of the consecration process. Now, does that not all speak of Christ? Does it not speak of His virtues? Was He Himself not the Word of God? He was the incarnate Word of God. And He loved the Word of God. He knew the Word of God. He spoke the Word of God continually all through His ministry. Even in His dying agonies on the cross, what came up into His heart, what came over His lips? The Word of God. In the temptations in the wilderness against the devil, what did he speak? The Word of God. And did he not walk right? And did he not handle things right? And did he not speak the right things? Did he not hear from heaven? Of course he did. And so you can see that these things are, are speaking, are illustrating, are a type of Christ that was to come as our great high priest. I want to read a couple of verses now as we now begin to look at the clothes that was worn. And that's really what I really want to talk to you about. In Exodus chapter 28, Verse 1, Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, 
Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Hithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all your gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash or a girdle. And so they shall make holy garments for Aaron and Aaron your brother and his sons that he may minister to me as priests. And then uh, again in chapter 39, which is very similar, verse 27, they made tunics, this is what I'm going to talk about this morning, they made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons. Now this tunic, this linen coat that the authorized version says was broidered or embroidered would be the word that we would use. This was a work of art. This was beautiful, skillfully, artistically woven. Something about this was spoke craftsmanship. Now remember what these garments that the priests wore externally represented what Christ was internally. Are you still with me? Now you've got to think this morning. It's all right to come to church to think, isn't it? can't dumb everything down when you come to church. You've got to think a little bit because we're talking about Christ. Why do you think all these chapters is in the Old Testament? Why do you think God spends somewhat of 50 chapters speaking about the tabernacle and the high priest garments and the feasts and all these things? Why do you think that? When he spends a few verses talking about creation, because it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about our great high priest. So it's good for us to learn and understand these things. And so his, even though he, when he was on this earth, he, he did not wear any priestly garments whatsoever, but his very nature, his very character adorned all that these vestments stood for. And also there should be a reflection of this in our lives because we are priests unto God also. Now here are some of the things about this linen coat that I want to draw to your attention this morning. Coat's maybe not the right term. Tunic, I'm not sure, is the right term either. Because either. it's not like a coat that you see with buttons up it and a collar on and stuff like that. It's just, it's a vestment. And it's made of very light, beautiful material. It was skillfully and artistically woven. It was embroidered. There was nothing plain or bland about it. Whatever the embroidery was, whatever it depicted, and we don't know because it doesn't tell us, but one thing we can be sure, it was woven into the very fabric, skillfully woven into the very fabric of this coat, this tunic. It wasn't just an imprint. It became intrinsic. It was an integral part of the whole coat. 
Now, there's something marvelous and mysterious about Christ. He was God, yet He was man. He was human, yet He was divine. And these two aspects of Christ's nature were very skillfully and artistically wrought by God in His Son. Man, yet God. Human, yet divine. Somebody said, and I repeat this, somebody said there was times he was so much like God it was though he wasn't man, and yet there was times he was so much like man it was though he were not God. How so? He who turned water into wine cried, I thirst on the cross. He who fell asleep on a boat because he was weary and tired was able to stand up and rebuke the wind and the waves that it should obey him. He who knew the secrets of all men's hearts said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so this mystery about Christ, human yet divine, intrinsically knit it together. Wonderful thing. And so this very skillfully woven, embroidered fabric speaks of that. Second thing to notice about it, it was worn as an outer garment by the ordinary priest. In fact, that was the only garment they, they wore. But it was an undergarment for the high priest. What was an outer garment for them was an undergarment for him. In fact, every garment from this garment on that the high priest wore, none of the other priests were allowed to wear it. For three and a half years, the true identity of who Jesus truly was was hidden from men. And only on the rarest occasions did they actually get a glimpse of who he really was. Men saw him as a prophet. They saw him as a miracle worker. They saw him as a great teaching rabbi. In fact, one time he said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? He says, well, somebody thinks you're this prophet and another thinks you're that prophet. He says, well, who do you say I am? You remember what happened in that moment, in that very brief moment, Peter got a revelation. He says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Jesus answer? Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. Remember in the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they were there. And suddenly while they were there, Moses and Elijah appeared with Christ. And Christ's face and his garment shone like a thousand suns. And they were amazed Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. Remember what Peter said? Lord, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And the voice came from heaven and says, This is my beloved son. Hear him. You've had the law. You've had the prophets. Now hear him. And so, this garment that was hidden on the high priest 
Christ, who he really was for quite a while, was hidden. Whenever you and I become born again of God's Spirit, whenever we are born from above, something miraculous, supernatural happens on us on the inside. We may not look any different on the outside. People may still see us and just recognize us on the outside as who we are, but we know we're different on the inside. And from time to time, and it should be more times than, than it happens, from time to time, then what has happened on the inside, who we really truly are now, born again of God's Spirit, should come out. And people should see the true person that we are today, the born-again believer in Christ, the new creature in Christ, as the Bible says. In fact, it says we should let our light shine before men that they may glorify God. And so, even though now we are men, human, yet the divine Holy Spirit lives within us. And as we walk among people and as we get to know people, as they get to know us, as we live with them, as we live beside them, as we work with them, go to school with them, then that divine Holy Spirit ought to shine through in our lives. And they see us for who we really truly are. Then thirdly, said it was made of fine linen. Now, although the Scriptures doesn't specifically say, but I, I think that we can safely assume that it was fine white linen. Uh, white linen is mentioned throughout Scripture, uh, and you can find it in various places. Now, fine white linen was the work of the Egyptian weavers. The Egyptians had excelled in the making of fine linen. They were experts. They exported it around the then-known world. People who come from far and near to buy it was something to be highly prized. The linen that we see today, in fact, there was a time when I left school, I used to be in the, and it worked in a factory where they made linen, so I know a lot about it. It was quite coarse. Uh, and the clothes that even we wear today, it's linen. Even the very best of it is coarse compared to this. Uh, I don't know if it's there now because I haven't been in the, the Linen Museum in, in the Market Square in Lisburn for a long time. But I know that when it opened, I, I went. Uh, I haven't worked in the linen industry. I was interested to see. And they give you a whole history of it. But there was a piece of linen from the grave of King Tutankhamun in Egypt. And it's the finest linen you'll ever see in your life. It's like gossamer. How they ever wove it, I do not know. Now, where did they get this white linen? They got it when they came out of Egypt. That was part of the booty. When they came out of Egypt with God's high hand, led them out, and they were overladen with... Well, how did you think they got the silver and the gold and the brass and all these things to build the tabernacle? From the Egyptians. And so here is this beautiful, fine, white linen that speaks of purity, like the, like the fine flour of the showbread in the tabernacle. It speaks of purity. It's without flaw. It, it's perfect. It is without fault. The Bible says that never man spoke like this man. Never man thought like this man. Never man lived like this man. Never man died like this man. Never man rose again like from the dead like this man. Nobody was quite like our great high priest. 
He dined with publicans and sinners. And yet, he remained pure. He touched the unclean, the lepers, the outcasts, yet he remained whole. He had multitudes following him, yet he remained humble. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with that just man. Even Judas said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. The thief on the cross said, we deserve what we're getting, but this man has done nothing amiss. The father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet, finish it, yet, without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For he made him who knew no sin. Sinless, perfect, fine, white linen. And the wonderful thing is that His righteousness has been imputed unto us. Our sins were imputed unto Him. His righteousness has been imputed unto us. The word coat here. According to Strong's Concordance, is the Hebrew word kethoneth. And kethoneth comes from a root word meaning to cover. And it was a covering garment for the high priest. But Christ has covered us with his righteousness. We who did not deserve it. We who all our good works were filthy rags in God's sight. And yet he took that from us and he gave us his robe of righteousness, Amen. and he covered us. Aren't you glad you're covered today? Hmm. What a wonderful Savior we serve today. So righteousness is now our spiritual undergarment, if I could use that term. And before we put on anything else, we have to put on righteousness. We cannot serve without his righteousness. And then we discover here something else. There was a sash. King James calls it a girdle. A band. Not the intricately woven band of the ephod in verse 8 that the A.V. calls the curious girdle. We'll get to that later. But this sash or this band was around the undergarment. And the only time it was on show was on the Day of Atonement when he had to take all the other vestments off to go into the most holy place. And so it is hidden. Nobody could see it was hidden. The sash or the band always speaks of service because in those days men as well as women they wore those long flowing robes 
And they always had a sash or a band around it so that if they had to work or run or walk fast, or what, they would put their garment into the sash, into the band, so their feet would be free to walk or to run or to work or to go to war or wherever. And so it was emblematic of service. Now this sash on the high priest was hidden. <clears throat> and right now as we speak, Christ, hidden from our eyes, is serving you and me before the Father's throne. Because He is our great high priest. He is our intercessor. He is our advocate. Just a couple of months ago, we spoke on those two ministries of Jesus as intercessor, as advocate. And that's what He's doing right now. If any man sin. John goes on to say, we have got someone in heaven to intercede for us. Aren't you glad for that today? Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 speaks about these things. 1 John 2 and 1 talks about him being our advocate in heaven. And Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24, it says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's where he is right now. Appeared in the presence in heaven in the presence of God for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, just back a little bit, that makes that clear. Verse 14, saying then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so here, way back in Exodus, and even though these Jews, and even though these Christian Jews and Hebrews had read this many, many times, but they never actually saw who the Holy Spirit was really, really talking about. All they could see was their high priest. With all of his faults, with all of his feelings, because he was just a man but they didn't know he was a type of the God-man that was to come, that Messiah, the Christ, who was to come, who would become our great high priest. When Jesus was on this earth, I told you before, his ministry was much like a prophet. He was a miracle worker. Right now in heaven, his ministry is a priestly ministry, interceding on your behalf before the throne of God. But whenever he comes back, he's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Aaron, as a priest, could never be a king, and a king could never be a priest. Melchizedek was a king priest, and Christ is a king priest. And when he comes back, we're going to see him in all of his glory. Hallelujah. 
But if we could see him right now, hidden from our eyes, every moment of every day, he's interceding and he's praying on your behalf. What a great high priest we have got today. Amen? Amen. Listen, tonight, maybe not do this every week, but tonight, I want to talk about the blue robe of the ephod with the pomegranates and the golden bells that was all around it. What is all that about? It's beautiful. It's wonderful. All of it is speaking about Christ and for us too. Amen? All right, let's pray.